0: Hi, this is Aaron Orlando reporting for Revelstoke Mountaineer podcast and RevelstokeMountaineer.com. I'm joined by caribou researcher uh, Dr. Rob Soroya, who's also a Revelstoke resident, and we're here to talk about a paper that he published uh, a couple months ago in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences uh, of the United States, uh, which is, and the name of the paper was, Saving Endangered Species Using Adaptive Management. Rob's agreed to join me to talk about the paper, talk about caribou in the area, and uh, give us a little bit more background. Thanks for talking, taking the time to talk to me today, Rob.
1: Oh, it's fun. Always a good time.
0: Okay. So, again, uh, let's talk about your bona fides as a caribou uh, person. So, tell me a little bit. I've, I've known you for a number of years, uh, in, you know, around town. as the, every, every now and then, the caribou issue comes up again. What is your background in caribou research?
1: Well, I started working on the Revelstoke herds in 1999. Mm-hmm. And uh, then went to do yeah went to do my PhD on uh, on the herds here and in the North Thompson, and then over time. Um, my interests started to spread and I also started to basically build partnerships with First Nations groups, governments and industry um, and NGOs, uh, non-government, you know, environmental groups mm-hmm. uh, in all five Western provinces and territories. So um, some of our big projects now start in Saskatchewan and finish up in the Yukon and include BC, Alberta and NWT. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time out of town mm-hmm. and I just spent seven months in Norway Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, trying to learn about uh, reindeer and uh, forest reindeer in Norway
0: and uh, Finland. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So uh, I want to get back to a real basic question for somebody who's just, obviously the caribou issue has been been in the, uh, in the limelight in the past couple of months uh, due to new sort of federal provincial planning for caribou here. But just taking it back to the start, why are the caribou here in trouble? Why are they declining and what is what is driving their decline? Well,
1: it's really, it always comes down to that issue of habitat. We've changed their mm-hmm. habitat because of everything we need. We need wood, we need oil, um, and those industries that we use um, have basically changed the forest. So, it, it removes trees, whether you're working on seismic lines, whether it's well pads, or whether it's uh, forestry for wood, Um you take the wood away, you tend to get a lot more shrubs when you take the wood away, and in that period, you get a lot more uh, white-tailed deer coming in as well as moose. Mm-hmm. Um, in some areas of Alberta, white-tailed deer are the big problem. They're invading a lot of milder winters, um, so the white deer have moved north, And west and um, with those critters you get more predators, more cougars and wolves and this is more than there used to be in some of these areas, especially in the peatlands where boreal caribou have a refuge. Um, Wolves didn't used to be there anywhere near in the same numbers and then in these wet belt mountains that we have here in the Columbias, we have more ungulates that aren't caribou and more cougars certainly and at certain times of the year more wolves. Mm So the caribou basically become bycatch. And, and that's the rub. Like That's the real rub. You could protect all the remaining habitat tomorrow. We could stop mm-hmm. everything we do. But these herds here in the mountains will still decline, some of them to extinction in short order. Unless you also at the same time manage the predator prey system. And that means, and again, that's not me recommending this, this is this, if society wants to do it, hmm. you have to reduce wolves and cougars for a short time until mm-hmm. the habitat recovers mm-hmm. that's the rub mm-hmm.
0: well that that leads into sort of the next question i want to talk uh, to talk to you about so your paper uh focused on adaptive management that's the the, the two key words there to to save uh specifically you're focusing on caribou but the paper also says it can be something that can be applied for for other species and in other instances so let's talk about adaptive management you know what what does that mean
1: Oh, yeah. Well, that's a buzzword that's mm-hmm. often misused and it's become very popular in the last 20 years. But really what it means is instead of just using management, like making a decision about how much how much forest to cut or how many you know, moose to hunt, start using that as an experiment, you're basically using management to test different ideas about how nature works. And you want to set it up beforehand as a treatment. So you want to try one thing in one area and a different thing in another area. And the key, though, is that these areas have to be huge. You're not talking about little petri dishes where you're adding some kind of, um, you know, antibacterial or whatever to try and stop, stop bacterial growth. This is huge. you got to do this across thousands of square kilometers. And basically, adaptive management means using management to learn in the tightest way you can
0: rather than sort of ad hoc Mm -hmm. now your study was on a big scale uh you can you know when we post this online i'll put a link to the research so people can go take a look at some of the maps but it's you know it's across BC as goes from our area up north to the to, to the north and and Alberta we, yeah Alberta as well and and what what you were essentially doing is trying different management levers to see what their effect would be to see what their absence would be as well as what they would have in common so explain a little more exactly what sort of tools were you using and studying and comparing
1: yeah i think you've explained it really well and just just to be clear, it wasn't us as the researchers doing or trying the levers. We were basically reporting on the government's actions. Mm -hmm. But we were trying to steer the government in a direction to say, look, if this is what you're doing, Mm -hmm. let's try and do it using the best science possible so we can learn. So Mm -hmm. I just want to be super clear. It wasn't us as researchers that were out there reducing wolves or anything like that. Mm -hmm. We were simply reporting on what society and the recovery measures, the federal recovery measures were were recommending. So the different levers that were attempted by the government agencies were wolf reductions, moose reductions in in separate areas, the maternity penning up north Mm -hmm. uh, in combination with the wolf reduction, the transplant from the level Caudi herd down to the Purcells, and um, all this in a backdrop of varying levels of habitat protection. So down here in the Columbia's, there have been 22,000 square kilometers of old growth that's protected from logging, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how many in the public know that. Um, further up north in the Quintet or in Alberta, it's much, much less, almost none. So, you really have this cool little experiment nested within an experiment where some areas um, there's
0: some habitat protection mm-hmm. and some areas there's very little. Mm-hmm. So, I want to have a follow-up on that one, but I want to bring up something, uh, one more question first. What is a lambda, and oh, why, why are they important, uh, and what do they tell us, and yeah. what did they tell us in the context of this study? Because yeah. if you look at the map, these are geographically, uh, some of them are n- neighbors to each other, but a lot of them are in different areas, yeah. like different areas. I so love I that know. question. Okay.
1: Um, it's funny, in Alberta, like every hunter and trapper knows what lambda is, because they can't count caribou there. It's very difficult to count. There's the, they, they don't go up in the mountains like we have them here. Here, the caribou are easy to count. But lambda is simply the number of the number of animals next year compared to this year. And you mm-hmm. just divide those two. So if lambda is 1.1, your population's increasing at 10% a year. If lambda is 0.9, your, your population just, just declined by 10%. If lambda is 1, it's totally steady. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, that's just a nerdy way of saying the
0: population growth. And using these various techniques that you that you uh, were studying as as part of the study, what did it show you? What what worked? What didn't work? What what had a bigger effect or lesser yeah. effect? Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good question. So. The biggest effect, the, the first take home is if you go, if you use a half measure, if you go sort of halfway on something, there's a word I don't want to use, but half something. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, if you go halfway, it's not going to work. So if you reduce the moose a little bit over here, or if you reduce the wolves on half the caribou's range over there, you have to go hard. There's, or else it's unethical. It's unethical to affect these animals um, to, you know, to reduce these animals without doing it properly. So, um, you, you have to go intensive. If you've decided to take a measure, you have to go all in. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the first main take home because there were three or four areas where the government only went halfway with the lever that they pulled. Mm -hmm. They only reduced wolves across half of the South Selkirk herd, didn't work. They only reduced moose by 40% up in the parsnip. Didn't do anything. And
0: then closer to home, it was closer to 80%, I think.
1: Yeah, the moose were reduced 80% here Mm -hmm. and it stabilized uh, the Columbia North herd. Lambda went Mm -hmm. from 0.95 to Mm 1.02. Doesn't sound like much, but in 2013, we had 152 caribou in Columbia North. Mm -hmm. In 2003, we had 127. Mm-hmm. Had the moose reduction not happened, and this can be concluded by comparing to the adjacent herds mm-hmm. and doing a p- before and after, had the moose reduction not happened, we would have somewhere between 80 and 100 caribou. But in fact, with that lambda going from 0.95 up to 1.02, we got 150 caribou in mm-hmm. 2013. And then in twenty. 20- 17 were about steady 147 caribou but both of those numbers are above the the numbers that were in uh 2003
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I want to go back to, I want to talk about timelines a little bit. And this mm. is something that you said at the start of the, of the interview and in that, you know, the declines in caribou have been caused by disturbances in their habitat. These disturbances, have mean, you know, the Revelstoke area have been happening for over a century. And also some of the techniques, uh, that are the levers that are suggested to help improve them, such as predator management, you, you said it was, you know, a short-term thing, but when we're talking short-term on the landscape, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, that's a really good question because it depends where Mm -hmm. in some areas Mm -hmm. there's
1: more forest coming online Mm -hmm. than forest that's being cut or burned. Mm -hmm. So in other words, um, forest cover is increasing at a faster rate than forest loss, Mm -hmm. but that was only in five of our 18 study populations. So in most areas, um, in most areas, there is, of course, more forest loss than forest gain, particularly in northern BC, like the Quintet herd and in Alberta, and the Chase and Wolverine herd. Um, In those areas, there's more wood taken out than is being replenished. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean in those areas? You're going to have to do more wolf management. If your goal is to recover caribou, you're going to have to do more wolf management, Mm -hmm. which simply isn't ethical. Who wants to do that in the long term? Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're just going to keep taking out wood, um, at a higher rate in these critical habitats, um, yeah, then many people would find that unethical. However, if you do both at the same time, if you do the wolf (coughs) reduction and the moose reduction, as well as protect the habitat, Most people seem to buy into that for a short time, as long as you can demonstrate that the needle is changing. In other words, the needle on the forestry side, that Mm -hmm. the forest gain is exceeding forest loss. Because you can't magically make the clear cuts go away tomorrow. It's impossible, right? That's just that there's no technology that can do that. So, in the meantime, Mm -hmm. if government's goal is to recover caribou, they have to manage that predator prey piece. But the question you ask about how long, That's the key one and it all depends on the level of
0: habitat protection. Mm-hmm. In, for example, the rebel, the greater Revelstoke area, mm-hmm. can can we get there? Can we look at you know what was logged eighty, hundred years ago? How long it will be until that is suitable caribou habitat? Uh, factor in mm-hmm. what is already protected and envision uh, you know yeah. a, a habitat, a level of habitat preservation that would uh, allow that would sustain the caribou in our area. Or are we yeah. a long ways off from that?
1: No, it, we're not, because what we're seeing is that. Um Especially with the... So right up the bend here, there's about 188,000 hectares that are protected from logging. And um, the rate of logging has declined. So um, we're getting to the point where where loss is is going to be less than... You know, loss is, is, is not as much as forest gain. Mm-hmm. So um, I could envision in 20 years... Um, a lot more forest when I look at the maps I can see that in in about 20 years there's going to be a lot more forest coming back online in terms of no longer being really suitable moose habitat Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're asking how long the the predator prey system has to be managed um, you're 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 not looking at a two-year time horizon you're looking definitely in the in the in the realm of one or two decades but again that depends on what levers you decide mm. if it's only wolf removal which nobody advocates mm-hmm. then you have to do that longer but if you do the moose reduction to historic levels at the same time then you eliminate the need for the wolf piece in the medium term for mm-hmm. the wolf reduction so it's again it's this trade-off always between forests moose numbers, wolf numbers, or deer numbers and cougar numbers in slightly different systems.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, the provincial government has changed uh, some of the levers, some of the tools that they're employing to, to save caribou. So, for example, uh, we did a brief a, several, a few months ago about wolf uh, reductions starting to happen. I believe it was 2017 in the immediate era. They had been doing it in other parts of the province here. Um, are, are we seeing the, the regime that's being put in place place uh, for Caribou Preservation, uh, you know, do, are we heading in that direction? Are we incorporating these ideas that you're proponing, or is there, are this still a separate thing? Sorry,
1: I missed what you're asking. More specifically, from other parts of the province, you mean on the the habitat side, or the or the, um
0: I was just uh, um, highlighting an anecdote, and that is yeah. that with um, wolf uh, kills in, yeah, in yeah. the Revelstoke area, that that has started more recently in some yeah, areas, and it wasn't started. wasn't happening here. No, it wasn't. Is this happening. an adapted adapt- adaptation? For the government to say okay we need to start doing this or or they weren't doing it before. I would figure yeah.
1: it's exactly that mm-hmm. um, so the the moose reduction had some benefit um, It you know and, and a corollary to that is it also uh, increased moose hunting opportunities um, recreational hunters benefited for a short mm-hmm. time for like a 10-year phase um, but I I am surmising that the government wants to increase lambda by more than just 1.02. Mm-hmm. So they are um, expanding the wolf reduction program here. They're not removing that many wolves here because there aren't that many, because the moose reduction program had, some, had quite a bit of success. It reduced the wolves without having to, to kill wolves. It reduced wolf numbers by, by 70%. Mm -hmm. So right now, um, I believe they're removing about a dozen wolves a year from here, which is far, far less than in the Quintet, West Moberly, Kennedy Siding, Little Smoky Herds. There they're reducing, they're removing hundreds of wolves per year because they're not doing the other part of the lever. They're not doing the moose piece. And that's, that's a huge thing because in those other wolf reduction areas further north, there is the potential for a huge win-win for the hunting community, you know, myself included, mm-hmm. and caribou. It's a win-win because if in these areas you're reducing wolves to recover caribou, and in those areas the caribou population's like last year's caribou population growth rate was 1.20. Mm-hmm. that's huge like a 20, so 20% increase, 20% increase yeah. in one year that's since we published the paper mm-hmm. that Quintet herd um, and burnt pine has just shot up by another 20% mm-hmm. but the spinoff of that is you can also hunt more prime-aged bull moose and more cows to feed your family in an organic you know herbicide-free pesticide-free way so there are some silver linings of win-win here mm-hmm. when you're doing this very unfortunate stuff this wolf stuff uh to recover the caribou the the ancillary you know the byproduct basically is you can have a win win with with hunting mm-hmm. of moose
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and in fact we we one thing i caution against is we don't want moose and deer to erupt to mm-hmm. sort of take off exponentially because then you're only making things
0: worse in these zones where you're managing for caribou with wolves. Mm-hmm. I think this sort of leads into uh, you know a long history uh, or understanding the long history of of what the natural environment has looked here you know for the past few hundred years. Mm-hmm. One of the anecdotes that is uh, you know passed around locally to me is that for example there used to be way more moose up coldstream which is you know between here and Micah Dam like that area goldstream uh, a yeah. goldstream I should say yeah mm. goldstream um, and uh, now the numbers are way down uh, of course there was intervention for the purposes of mm-hmm. saving caribou like mm. increasing the number of hunting tags that were there but however historically there likely would have been much fewer in this and this and you know the the wolves always ha- also have a, a longer history they were hunted to the hunted and poisoned and uh, their numbers reduced uh, quite a bit historically. Maybe, maybe if we could touch on that a little bit. What is, what is the story of the wolf uh, you know, as it, as it relates to their population numbers and their interplay with caribou hair?
1: It's funny you ask that. Um, the predator control branch began in 1906 mm-hmm. in British Columbia, and it continued on until 1962. And, of course, they used all the worst methods like poison, strychnine, everything. And, yeah, it was a deliberate attempt to try and eradicate the wolf, um, obviously, it was unsuccessful, but nonetheless, uh, wolves were reduced on across huge areas of BC. Mm-hmm. And ironically, we have an untestable idea that that's kind of what allowed moose to expand from the peace area, like way up in the northeast, like Fort Nelly, Fort Nelson, down to here. Um, there were always some moose down here let's say in 1850 and 1900 at Boat Encampment, mm-hmm. uh, when, uh, when David Thompson came over Athabasca Pass, there were some moose, but everyone agrees that there were nowhere near as many moose back then than we saw in 2003 when, when there were you know 1.6 moose per square kilometer here. There were almost 2,000 moose between here and Micah. Mm-hmm. Um, so wolves were, yeah, the province tried to really eradicate wolves, Um, officially starting in 1906. Um, And ironically, that may have allowed or facilitated the expansion of moose Mm -hmm. into southern BC. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's there's some awesome reviews done. Um, I can't remember. Well, the author is Santamoro, but they did some awesome reviews by interviewing First Nations bands all over British Columbia. And many of the southern bands considered moose a delicacy. It
0: was a new thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. How? Okay. So, when the the concept of adaptive management comes up, or maybe not even adaptive management. Maybe if someone's just saying wolf calls need to be part of the caribou uh, preventing caribou expert extirp- uh, extirpation, um, critics of that will say you know that's uh an unnecessary unnecessary intrusion on on the natural environment or that is you know uh interfering in the natural order of things and that uh for example you're liable to repeat um uh, mistakes that were made in the past such as you know the you were talking about the predator reduction branch from 1906 and that or that it as you mentioned earlier in the interview we were talking about they'll, they'll also say it's just uh uh, a way for us to continue on with status quo logging or oil and gas development in the mm-hmm, north mm-hmm. without, you know, dealing with the core is- issue. Uh, uh, how do you respond to that criticism? And, and I'd ask you to do that from like from a scientific perspective. Like, well, how, the, how do you criti- the
1: critics are right. Like if you're not managing, if you're not dealing with the habitat piece, you know, you're absolutely right. You have to deal with mm-hmm. all three levels of the system, you know, the, the plants, the habitat,
0: mm-hmm. the,
1: the, the prey you know, mm-hmm. moose, deer, caribou, and the predators. So you have to hit all three at once if you want to have caribou on the landscape. But um, in terms of what you're saying, the natural order of things, um, you know, don't manage, don't manage the predators because it'll interfere with the natural order of things, which is um, what you said earlier. Um, there is no natural order of things because just look outside, look out the window. We've changed mm-hmm. the landscape. So there is no more natural order. Mm-hmm. We've managed it for fiber and for oil. The flip side of that is you have to manage it as well for the rare species like caribou. So mm-hmm. there, yeah, that's kind of a moot argument in terms of natural order. Um, and then the other, the other piece was, oh, you know, it'll just, yeah, it could, it could destabilize things. Well, um, again, the whole idea here is ecosystem restoration, bringing um your best do your best to try and bring the vegetation back to how it was the prey pieces back to their historic abundance and then of course the predator numbers back to historic abundances we're never going to get to how it was in 1850 because Mm -hmm. we need an economy and that's now the government it's it's up to them to do the balancing act Mm -hmm. right they have to balance it's up to the elected officials it's no longer a science game the mm-hmm. science has been done. The science of decline has been figured out. We can do a bit more science to help evaluate recovery, but the mm-hmm. science of decline has been figured out. It's now—it's not a, None of this of what we're talking about is a scientific piece anymore. It's all about politics. It's all about what elected officials, what governments are going to do in terms of trading off what goes on on the land. And I guess it maybe is an oversimplification, but it is a trade-off between how much habitat we alter how much we want a snowmobile and log and all that versus how much to manage the predator prey system that's mm-hmm. and that's not for you or i to decide here in this room it's it's not at all our issue it's it's the guys who are uh, the guys and gals who are elected mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. their it's their turn <laughs> mm-hmm. you know
0: in uh currently the federal and provincial government have a consultation period is open for another couple of weeks uh on the the, the federal provincial plan, in terms of what you've seen from the plan, do you, do you see it heading in the right direction? Or is there enough, if the goal is to, yeah, to preserve I'll, I'll caribou? I'll candid yeah. here. Um, yeah.
1: And I, you know, it, uh, I have no problem being candid. I think the plan, um, all the public meetings and all that that were held were basically totally putting the cart before the horse. And I've mm-hmm. told my government colleagues this, but everyone's hands were tied because it was because it was a, a federal, you know, it was, a, it was a mandate. It was a high-level federal-provincial thing, that, and then people had to act. The government people down on the ground had to act, but it was mm-hmm. basically the cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're getting everybody together and kind of freaking people out by saying, oh, something might happen, and then all sorts of rumors get started. Well, mm-hmm. that's not the best way to do it. The best way is you do the science, mm-hmm. then you figure out the impacts. What is that science going to cost? What's it going to cost to, let's say affect a piece of logging over there or affect a piece of uh, recreation over there. What would that cost? How, you mm-hmm. know, what's the dollar cost? Then you develop trade off options. Like I was saying, you know, some forest protection, medium, high level of forest protection. And then the trade off is on the predator prey piece. You develop those options. Then you go to the public and maybe mm-hmm. public forums aren't the best way, mm-hmm. but you've, you first, you got to figure out what it's going to cost. Mm -hmm. Then you go to the public after you develop a couple of categories of options. And then again, whose turn is it? It's the decision makers, the politicians to then decide on which of those sets of options, A, B or C, based on, you know, their elections, what their bureaucrats tell them, what the public tells them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's 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 what I think of the plan so far. Okay.
0: yeah. Is there and I'll throw this word out there. I'm sure you'll object to it, but is there an is there an easy solution to this to caribou to the caribou oh, gosh, problem? No, like, um, you know. <laughs> it's oh, the, well, it's I, the, I, it's the hardest. Yeah. It's, as
1: I've said before. Maybe yeah. not. Maybe not to you, but it's North America's biggest mm. terrestrial. And I'm not talking the oceans. The oceans have their own issues but it's the biggest land-based mm-hmm. conservation challenge that we face in North America is woodland caribou mm-hmm. because,
0: but yeah, is there, is there, uh, you know, we can preserve 80% of, you know, forestry activity and outdoor recreation and save the caribou and bring that in, uh, under budget on, on a, on a budget that's, mm-hmm. that's feasible or, well, is there, or is that not, is that look not at, possible? Look at
1: Clin-Ziza and Quintet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are both increasing. So that's north of here. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, you know, near Mackenzie, mm-hmm. um, those two herds are increasing, and I'm not sure if that was relayed at the public session. But six herds are increasing because of government mm-hmm. management, right? And mm-hmm. that's you know outlined in the paper that you brought up here that we that we presented. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's a real easy read. If anyone wants to read the paper, mm-hmm. it's super easy to read. You just see what's working, what's not. I'm sure Aaron will will present uh, the web link. But um, you look at those areas they are heavily, heavily habitat altered, Mm -hmm. right? So, and those caribou populations are increasing because they're managing the predator prey. But the question is, how sustainable is that? How long are governments going to want to do that without? And probably the best example is the Klinziza herd with the West Moberly and the Soto First Nations. Mm -hmm. They said, look, we want to stem the bleeding. So we will help you with the maternity pen, we will do the on-the-ground predator management. Yeah. So the, the, West, the West Moberly and the Soto First Nations are doing it on the ground, mm-hmm. working in conjunction with the aerial program. The caribou herd has, has doubled um, from 30 to over 70 uh, in three or four short years. And now they've switched their attention to what? To the habitat. They're now doing the restoration of, of mm-hmm. the roads and the, and the, uh, and the seismic lines. So, um, their logic was let's stem the decline, let's stem the bleeding right away. Then we work on the habitat. Cause if we do it the other way around, that won't stem the decline. You can't mm-hmm. start, you know, you can't restore habitat and affect it, expect any impact. You have to do it the other way. So they've got all three levers going at the same time. So that's when you, that's a win-win mm-hmm. because you're employing people to be out on the ground doing those other
0: components, the habitat piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah correct me if I'm wrong but the your report didn't touch touched on uh management levers like you know predator reduction or habitat restoration um maternal petting and the it's transplant tra- tra- uh, translocations yeah. however it didn't talk about things like you know heli skiing sledding recreational closures that kind of stuff why were why were those not included in the study yeah
1: I mean it, it those did don't fit in a neat package within the study mm-hmm. that's those are dre- addressed in a whole bunch of separate studies um so there's other other literature out there on that um and uh they're they're generally more difficult to do Mm -hmm. um because they you know they don't fit into sort of neat categories where you pull one lever here and don't pull another lever there and they're more there it's it's one of these sub issues it's not like the smoking gun for sure Mm -hmm. it's not like so you know, in some of these areas where the caribou are increasing, you also have snowmobiling and heli skiing. But um, there's evidence on the other side um, that caribou in those areas um, that have a lot of commercial wreck have higher cortisol levels, and that's in a in a very nice piece of work done by Nicola Freeman. So mm. yeah, there's there's evidence on the other side, but it's it's not like it's not like the smoking gun. Um, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, what does caribou recovery like? Let's look at the crystal ball. What mm. does it look like in the Rebel, the Greater Revelstoke area? Like, if, if if we're serious about uh, preserving uh, the car- or conserving the caribou, mm. um, as well as uh, you know increasing their numbers. What does what does a realistic, a practical, um, best way of going about that look like? That within you know, and certainly your paper references political debates or other you know constraints. It's not a purely science field. We live in a in, in the yeah. real world here as we do this. Yeah. What does it look like for the Revelstoke? That's area? a really
1: good question because often in Revelstoke, with this and other issues, we've come with homegrown solutions that have. You know, worked or worked with varying degrees of success, um, and if if it doesn't work locally, like if if the local group of politicians and scientists and 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 resource rec users and foresters, if we don't come up with a with a good local plan that works, then the federal government's going to come in and have potentially much greater impacts. I don't know what they are. I'm not privy to those high level discussions, but it always makes sense to come up with more of a local solution. So the kinds of things that we did um, in the 1990s and the early 2000s, when we had local meetings with all the different stakeholders, and we would say, hey, what's your biggest issue of this year? What are you planning this coming year? Okay, how can we mitigate impacts to you and to the caribou? And so you know, the best, the best locally, the best vision is to, to come up with local solutions, which, yeah, which includes the predator prey piece in the short term, maybe maternal penning, um, and uh, continued habitat restoration, like is going on up the bend. There's a little bit of, of uh, habitat restoration going up, going on in the Big Mouth to reduce wolf movements. Um, Yeah, so again, combination of all those different levers I talked about earlier, um, but with the details worked out here, rather than the sledgehammer approach that's much more likely to come um, if things don't go well, mm-hmm. and the sledgehammer approach would come if if the if the species at risk you know legislation was was uh, enacted here.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that has been a concern for a number of years, whether the federal government would step in. Do you see at this point whether um, any indications that the provincial plan is, is going to be successful? Is, is that something that you have a, a better handle on? I think for a lot of people that's, uh, myself included, I don't really have a good, a good idea of whether they would get involved or at what triggers yeah, that. I don't know what the next trigger would be.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. Again, I don't know what's going on. You know, that's why I didn't want ever. You know, I didn't want to be a politician. It seems <laughs> way too, way too stressful. I have no idea what those what those folks are doing at the upper levels. I don't know what's being negotiated here. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not privy to that. My job is basically just to provide information. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: I've asked you this question before Mm. in the past, and I'll try and put you on the spot again. How much does it cost to to save caribou in the area? There was some federal, provincial, and Mm. a little bit of federal funding, but when we're talking about things like re-sloping roads, closing off roads, uh, you know, flying around in helicopters, hunting wolves, uh, running maternity pens, how how much money do we have? have, Is it any way to ballpark how much it would cost in the local area to to do this? And I guess uh, I'm not going to ask you this question, but part of what is driving this question is are, are the f- f- federal and provincial governments doing enough? Putting enough resources behind this? Yeah, I mean, these these
1: actions like they definitely cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hmm. Um, some of them, like I said, are win wins. When you're doing some some wolf reduction and you have more moose around because of that, you you generate more you know more hunting opportunities. So some of them actually in a, in a, in a strange way, actually generate funds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the, yeah, there's, there's not that much flying around in the helicopters. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a few days a year. It's, it's less than 10 days a year. Um, so, you know, that, that piece isn't super expensive, but it definitely, it, it, it will, it will add, it adds up pretty quickly, but, mm-hmm. um, what the biggest cost is if you would, if you would curtail more, Forestry—that's mm-hmm. that's by far, you know, the biggest cost in terms of ongoing use of the land. The actual management and research, all of that in the Revelstoke area on an annual basis is, you know, it's not—it's not that much. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, yeah. Rob. I want to ask you one last question. Um, about a week ago, there was a big international study that came out that made, got a lot of mm. headlines talking about the rates of um, extinctions yeah. uh, in the world of, of very depressing uh, news and then a reminder of you know what uh, we're up against. So I wanted to ask specifically about caribou. You know, can we save them um are you hopeful that we can do it and yeah i'm we totally will, hopeful will, yeah mm-hmm. i'm
1: totally hopeful again um in the study we show that there are six herds that are increasing because mm-hmm. of intensive management um and some of them are incur- increasing really quickly um as long as those actions are followed up with habitat recovery then yeah then i'm i'm for sure hopeful i wouldn't be in the game if i wasn't um and the other fascinating piece about caribou is if, if you save caribou, they're the best umbrella we've got. Because with caribou, you have the old growth forest, and then you have thousands of species out there that you don't even know exist. You've got lichens, you've got invertebrates, you've got all sorts of bugs and weird things that are running around that you don't even know are out there. So in terms of the global loss of biodiversity, caribou are the best umbrella we got. We used to think it was grizzly bears, but it's not because all you have to do is yeah, not shoot them uh, at a certain rate, let's say, and they seem to do fine. You can log in grizzly bear habitat. They come back. It's mostly managing managing, uh, the hunting rate for grizzly bears. That's not the case with caribou. Mm -hmm. So yeah, caribou are the best umbrella of any critter we've got out here. So yeah, if you've got caribou and their forests out there, you're going to have biodiversity and that's that's the exciting thing about
0: yeah about caribou in this ecosystem mm-hmm. so uh dr rob Saroya is a rebel stoke based caribou researcher we were uh, talking today about uh a a paper that was published uh, entitled Saving Endangered Species Using Ad- Adaptive Management by Rob as well as a team of other uh, scientists uh, um, and uh, researchers who are working on it. And that was in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. If you're just listening to this online, we'll put a link to this. We'll post the story on revelstokemountaineer.com so you can uh, go have a read for yourself. Uh, Rob, thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Thanks, Aaron. It was fun.